a podcast where we talk to people in different jobs and find out the different ways there are to make money. My name is Jen, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Joyce, your other host. Sweet. I almost just said my name was Joyce. Oh, okay. Then I would have said my name was Jen. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. I got you. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm feeling a little loopy. Uh, we're recording on a Monday. I don't know if we've ever done that before. No, we have, right? We, I, I swear know. we have. I don't know nothing. I probably, <laughs> I like, but I'm drinking coffee and that can't help or it could. I'm the know. same. I'm the same. It's kind of late in the afternoon for drinking coffee, but I want to roll sticking to it. I just want a beverage at all times. I and know. I, and it's a little too early to have a cocktail or something. I mean, I mean, I guess it's not that early, but <laughs> but I'm not drinking uh, alcohol uh, on the podcast today. Joyce, what's up? How are you doing? Good. Um, yeah, good. I mean, it's summertime. Summertime is always the best. I just love how the sun comes out early and goes down late. So longer days, longer uh, time in the sun. Yeah, that's just that's been my my kind of focus lately is like oh, just enjoying the weather. What about you? I you know, I do feel a little weather focused, but I hmm. I personally like the June gloom. I know a lot of people don't like it, but once you get to this part of the year and so I also didn't grow up in California, so I didn't know about the June gloom because in the Midwest it's just like starting in June it's just hot, you know? Right. But uh yeah, June gloom, I kind of like it because like in the morning, it's a little chilly. It's a little gloomy as the name states. And then and then it gets sunny during the middle of the day. Is, has so it always kind of been nice. like that? Like has June gloom always been a thing in LA? Because like I feel like everyone in LA is freaking out about how it's like overcast for yeah, like yeah. a month or so. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, my husband, he grew up here and he seems to be familiar with the concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I see. I see. I don't know. I do like the weather though. Been hiking more. Nice. Oh man, I got burned on all trails. Well, okay, wait. I can't. I can't blame all trails. You know, all trails the app to yeah, like yeah, find yeah, hikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't totally blame all trails because I just didn't read it right. But I did a hike, and it was like a five mile loop. It looked super nice. And it was it was like a Boy Scout trail. So I was like, oh, this is going to be so pleasant. Good way to spend my Saturday. And I didn't realize that there's an area that you can see where the elevation gains really hit. And I swear, this, this hike was like a zero to 60. Like I was just going uphill a thousand feet for like the first mile. It was just straight uphill. And I'm I'm like, what the like and then I'm like, oh, okay. Well, once I get up here, I'm just gonna be walking around the top of a mountain. And then you look and then there's another mountain that you have to go up. I mean, it was uh, I can't blame all trails, but it was a really nice hike. Uh <laughs> oh gosh. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good segue. I know. Well, I know. it's I'm, just so I'm, hard. I'm kind of going into this interview a little bit blind. Me uh, too. 
So Me too. that's why I don't know what to really set up for this segue. I know, I know. Okay, okay. We're gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna drop the segue because I'm so not informed in this topic at all, which is why I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And so rather than wasting more time trying to figure out a segue, we're just gonna optimize the time that we have with our guests to learn everything there is about um, this topic. So before I spoil it, let's bring on our guest and have her introduce herself and tell us what she does. So welcome on, Alicia. Woo! Hi, ladies. Yay! (laughs) Hi, Alicia. Hi. How are you? (laughs) Great, great. So you heard us. We have no idea. We, I've heard this term... (laughs) And I like, um, I kind of know a little bit about it, but before we dig into it, um, why don't you introduce yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Alicia. I am in franchise development, which can mean some different things depending on the franchisor and kind of what they're looking for. But typically it's taking a startup concept and franchising that business and learning how to really launch it and to be a a multi-unit scalable operation, usually nationally, but sometimes internationally. So I've been doing, I've been in the franchise world for 10 years now. I've worked for three different brands. I actually just locked on a fourth brand this weekend, which I'm really excited about. Um, I started largely in operations, um, really in the ground running on how to operate the businesses and kind of helping the franchise systems do what they need to do. And then near about five years in, I moved really onto the development side, which is when I really learned the startup life and was really interested in taking mm-hmm. a concept, helping a business owner understand what franchising is to what you just said and launching it. And so that's what I've been doing. And I'm really, I really appreciate it. and really like, I love what I do. That's incredible. Okay. So I think our, just for your context, our experiences on the startup side, so it'll be interesting to kind of hear about like like what that franchising is and like how to go from that startup to that next step. So maybe we could start there. What is a franchise and what is franchising? Yeah, absolutely. So in layman's terms, a franchise is really the license to operate under someone else's name. And so there's a franchisor, which is usually the owner. So let's say you two are founders, you started a company, you would be a franchisor. And you would grant the right to someone else called a franchisee, the right Mm -hmm. to use your trademarks, your brand, your proprietary intellectual property to then operate their own business under your name. Is it kind of like white labeling a little bit? No, no. Or maybe. It's true because there's, well, there's licensed business models, which would be exactly that. Like you have, you you can license a product under a different name or, you know, take their product and put your name on it. There's licensing businesses that don't necessarily operate as a franchise model, but it could be very similar where actually Legree, Legree is like a licensing model. I don't know if you've heard of Legree. It's a fitness concept. Um, Okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's Pilates because the owner and the founder of Legree really likes to separate that, which I understand and respect, but it is very similar to a Pilates like workout, but Legree offers licensing Um, Mm. and like Bikram yoga, Bikram yoga. I was just going to say that was the thing that came to mind. Yeah. Yes. So So that is is a little bit different. 
it's like so basically it's you're paying a royalty to Bikram Yoga to operate under that mm-hmm. name but what doesn't come with a licensing plate is a lot of the infrastructure that a franchise mm. system actually oh. gives you you get a little bit more leeway with a licensing plate to kind of do what you need to do under that name um, so I would say that's the biggest differences. I don't come from a licensing role, so I don't want to speak out of line in terms of, right. you know, maybe there is something else that I'm missing. But typically, when you're in a franchise system, you're held high, to a higher standard, but you also mm. get a lot more support to operate the business versus just saying, I have the marks of X company, but I can kind of do what I want to do to operate under that business. Um, my husband actually was a franchisee. Uh, for a business like so but it sounds like um you are you work on the franchisor side right in terms or are you a franchise okay you do now yeah and um have you ever been on the franchisee side I mean there's just so many like layers to this now I'm getting a little yeah, so actually the the very first brand that I was part of that literally launched my franchising career technically was a franchisee, but they were called a master franchisee. So oh. in a sense, we, we did kind of work like a franchisor, but I'll tell you how this goes. For international development, when you're a brand that operates a franchise system nationally, if you want to go mm-hmm. internationally, typically, not every time, you sell master licenses to a country. Because Mm. in order for you to sell and operate and support an international development, it's very hard. So you usually wouldn't sell a franchise license to someone in Canada. You would likely sign a master agreement where they're still held to the brand standards and the operating procedures and the development timeline that the franchisor would want. But you have a little bit more autonomy to do what's needed because international law there's no reason why a franchisor would ever want to take that under their wing. They would want someone else to deal with the legalities in their country while still following the brand standard. So we were Mm -hmm. a master franchisee in Canada. So largely the way the infrastructure felt was very like, like a franchisor. But then when I moved to my second brand and now my third, it's a true franchisor system. And I'm yeah. noticing just small variances between the two, which is very interesting. It's been a great learning curve, but that that's the difference there. I've never been an actual franchisee where I've owned a business or operated within a franchisee's um, setup, but I was part of a master franchisee system. So, I mean, this sounds so interesting in terms of like the data. I mean, it must be so, there must be so much variety in your day to day. And like we were talking about earlier before we were recording that, like, it just feels very uh, action oriented. Like it's never a dull moment. Uh, Could you talk maybe, maybe about what's a day like for you in what you do? Yeah. So interesting because I get that question a lot and because I feel like I've stayed in the startup life for so long it's very hard to make it sound fluid or logical but really when you're building a brand but you're building a brand through independently owned businesses it Mm -hmm. it it adds a layer of complexity because within a franchise order a franchisee there is an arm it's basically they use that like you have to stay at an arm's reach meaning mm-hmm. you have to give mm-hmm. the sops the manuals the playbook the rules and regulations on what to do through all stages of developing your franchise from the date you sign your franchise agreement 
through real estate, construction, usually a pre-sale and then opening it on, but you can't execute with them. You can't do the work. You can't hire their employees. Mm. You can't tell them all the legalities involved in operating the business in their area. There has to be this level of separation so that you're not jointly Mm. liable like you are in a corporation. So because of that, you have to, the infrastructure you have to create takes so much time and due diligence, but it's in every aspect of a business. So my day could be a meeting in the morning on real estate, then it can go to facility management, then it can go to law, then it can go to marketing, then it can go Mm. to training and development, can go to innovations, because right now we have to touch every aspect that a business owner would need and package it Mm -hmm. up so that they have the right tools to execute it on their own. And you will, you'll live in that bubble of almost hitting every arm of the business or every arms Mm -hmm. of a business for the foreseeable future, probably for the next five to 10 years, because you're going to be in build mode forever. We'll obviously add more to our teams, but the issue with franchising, which I think it's kind of what you alluded to at the beginning to find people with experience in franchising is very, very hard. It's not a large mm-hmm. industry, even though mm-hmm. there's a lot of franchises out there. The franchisor's offices are very small. They're usually very mm-hmm. lean because of that relationship where you're not actually doing the work in these locations. You're just feeding them the tools to do it. So it's very hard to find people that can come in and know how to build what's needed without that direction and so with my day and my experience it's very involved in all of that but I mean it's fun it's chaos I learn a lot every day I am by no means an expert in everything I just said but no one really ever is Um, but it's interesting because you you just hit so many areas of, of a business and you learn a lot all day I I mean I find it to be so like fascinating then that you're saying because the the path into becoming part of the franchisor part of the business so I, I how did you end up deciding that you wanted to stick with this because I think that there's a moment in a lot of people's careers where mm-hmm. especially when you're dabbling with the startup side that you can always take like these pivot moments of going one direction over this so what what were the moments or what was the moment when you decided to say like, yeah, I really want to stick with working in franchises? Yeah. And maybe yeah, even a like a step question. back of like, like how did you even get started in this? Especially because of the fact that like you said, it's not a very common role. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'll start there and then I can go right into your question, <laughs> Jen. Cause it kind of, it, it actually, it flows well, but really I went to university and I always had an entrepreneurial mindset. I wanted to have my own business. It was always going to be a super small business, but I just knew I wanted to work myself. I just always had that drive, which sounds very cliche. Mm -hmm. They really did. And when I was in university, I was needed to work and money. And I went into insurance of all things. I was literally selling home and auto insurance policies to farmers back in my small little town. And I only reason why I went that route was because my best friend during school, her mom worked in this industry and we're like, let's get a job. And it paid off extremely well because this company, I still to this day talk to them because they were a phenomenal way to start a business career. And I give them kudos to everything they gave me, but I got to learn from them 
business acquisition because they were a very mm. small broker, but they were going through this massive merger. And for some reason, they wanted me involved in the conversations as a 17 year old nobody because they were like, oh, 17 nobody. I had no, trust me, I had no hand in this by any means, but I, they knew I was going into university because I worked for them when I was, you know, in high school. And when I started on the insurance side, they're like, why don't you just sit in because you're going to business school, you want to learn this stuff. I was like, thank you. So I got to see this whole business acquisition side and I'm like, man, I want to do something like that. I loved it. And so when I, you know, they were very helpful for me. They got me through university. And when I, it was time to switch careers, I did a Google search because I was like, okay, for now I need money. I can't do my own thing. I'm like, I want to be in fitness (laughs) and I want something small because I want to go through something where it's either growth of a company or some sort of acquisition in the future. So I'm like, I want a small fitness company. And I Googled. And one company came up, I don't want to say their name, but it was, it, to this day, it's an international franchise and it's a phenomenal brand. Mm. And they, they were opening up their very first studio in the city that I was living in, which nothing cool happens there. Nothing ever. <laughs> and I was shocked because I'm like, why would they choose Edmonton, Alberta, Canada as their first <laughs> studio? And I was like, I'm down. They were looking for a studio manager. And I was like, this is going to be it. I didn't know anything about the company. I did not know they were a franchise. But I'm like, it's small. It's cool. I'm like, this is going to do something. And so I applied. They gave me the opportunity to manage the studio. And as I got in, I realized, oh, I'm working for one of the owners of the company. They started in the Mm -hmm. United States. They're franchising their business. I learned really what was uncovering from this job posting of a mini studio manager. And I worked with them. They liked me. They let me open up their second and third locations in the city. I ended up being a manager of one, two, and then three. And then when they started to franchise in the Canadian operations, they were like, well, do you want to move up? Do you want to launch locations? Do you want to start to train them? And I was like, yep. So I became their launch Mm -hmm. trainer. Then I became their operations specialist. And then I moved up the ladder and I ended my career in the last like th- four years as their director of franchise development and operations. And that's when I really, really got to see the development side of a franchise. And it reminded me of basically being very similar to being an owner because you have to touch all of these areas of the business. You are working yeah. with independently owned businesses, which means me and the owners are partners. And you end up seeing mm-hmm. yourself influencing an owner how to open mm-hmm. locations, operate them, perform. And I still have that drive to be my own boss one day and open my own business. I was but curious, this business, yeah. I still do. And I hope it happens. I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, who knows what the future can hold. But in, when I got to see what a franchise system really was, which I knew nothing about, there's like, get yeah, with school to become a franchising expert. There's nothing there yeah. on it. Yeah. I realized it, it reminded me of like that, that drive I had for business, I could do in this career in a very lucrative career. And so I mm-hmm. stuck with it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I loved the startup that I started with, with this first brand after being with them for eight years, you know, we built this company, we built, it was a self-sustaining unit. We were just selling franchises and turning them over and it was amazing, but the drive of the build was gone and I was mm-hmm. waiting to get back to that. And so that's when I decided, Hey, there's an opportunity in this franchise industry that's so limited to join startups and help them grow and actually help them Mm -hmm. not grow, actually launch the franchise. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to put myself out there and I was lucky enough to 
connect with a new startup brand, was with them for a, a consultancy. So they hired me as a consultant, helped them mm-hmm. kind of revamp their infrastructure and kind of do what I did with this first brand. And then that's what kind of plateaued my career because it's such a small industry. Everyone knows everyone. And then I got referred to this uh-huh. brand that I'm at right now, which then I got referred to this other fourth brand that I really just locked in. And I, I guess it, it just catapulted on its own and it sounds surreal, but it's a very interesting industry. I don't, yeah, it's very Can I just say um, though, you <laughs> seem like such a hard worker and uh, like I can just tell, there's just this professionalism and drive that when you talk about things, I'm just like immediately invested. It just seems yeah. like you're killing it in this. Well, thank you. That's a beautiful compliment. You know, you don't hear that often. And I appreciate it. Um, I do or I do. I mean, I pride myself in the work I put out there. Um, I do work hard. I mean, I I feel like I really did invest a lot of my hard hours and personal time to do this. But you know what, like knock on some wood. I said it, I wanted it to pay off. And I said, you know, and I, I don't know if I would put this out there to people to say do what I did, because I really I I haven't done a lot of cool stuff on my personal life, I have to say, and I don't think that that's worth it. I think that there has to be a balance. You know, haven't been on a vacation in over six years. I don't do oh much my gosh, at all girl. for myself. Yeah, but that's going to change. But you know what I will say on the positive end is that I had a goal and I really did. I do believe the power of like affirmations and positivity and motivation. Mm-hmm, and absolutely. I really do believe in that. And I mm-hmm. kept saying it every day. I'm like, at some point, it's not all for nothing. And within this last six months, it is revolutionary to say what's changed for me, which is, it's like, gives me goosebumps. Mm. I'm very grateful. I, so I actually kind of think it's surreal, to be honest, but it's mm. almost like everything right now, the last few months just started to turn in the direction I was waiting for that one nugget. One day I was like, something's going to happen. And it did. And, you know, I'm very grateful for it. And, um, I, I don't regret the time I put in. I don't. Um, yeah. And it's been very rewarding. And I've been lucky to meet some really cool people. And like this industry is small, I feel like I can travel anywhere and connect with someone that's connected mm-hmm. to one of the brands I've worked with or heard about it. And so it's got a cool community to it. Um, and man, I think I've only learned what I have today because of the people I've met. It, it, franchising brings the best out of the world. I mean, you get these franchise owners, their stories are insane. I learn from them every day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how did you grow to where you are? And now you want to go invest millions of dollars in a franchise at some point, because that's how much it could be. And so you kind of surround yourself with all of these very cool intellectual people with all their own stories. And so you're mm-hmm. always meeting new people, always learning new things. I learn new industries all the day, every day. I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. And so I think there's a payoff there too, you know, so very applicable yeah. to what you're doing. It's like you learn it from hearing from people. It's it's interesting because like it's, I always thought of like consulting as like the main way of being able to support other businesses and getting them to the next level. And this, what you're doing is basically that as well. It's more focused on the specific franchise model, but you're also getting a taste of, of like what running your own business would look like. And so I'm curious Mm -hmm. from your perspective, especially because that's something that like you are interested in. Do you ever find that like, um, 
going from like startup mode to startup mode to startup mode, does that like, is that a lot of effort? Like, is that difficult to kind of muster up that like startup energy um, over yeah. and over again? Or um, if not, like curious, like how, how you balance that, especially because like you said, it is going to be hard, like long hours, hard work, yeah. um, and just a lot of commitment. Yeah, you know, I it's a great question. I'm still trying to figure out what that means and what what, you know, balance I can put towards this. I don't think jumping to new brands frequently is something that I want to do. I mean, now mm-hmm. I've learned a lot to know what it takes to launch a brand and how many years it takes to really get it to a sustainable moment where, you know, it can be on rotation, you know, you sell a license, you get in the tools, you know, when they're opening and that sort of thing, where mm-hmm. I see myself now in this seat is I know enough on how to get into a company and know who to hire, what the mm-hmm. right protocol is to hire these people to get them to support the franchise with the right infrastructure so you can launch it. I think where now my expertise is, is in that, which that it's not draining because actually in franchising, aside from the customizations you'll make on some of the marketing and messaging and maybe some of the development timelines you put forward, the infrastructure of a franchise is always the same if you want it mm-hmm. to be successful. And you can't cheap out on it. And you have to realize that you need that structure in order to make a business scale and do it profitable. Um mm-hmm. And so where I want to sit and kind of with this this fourth brand, like I'm saying, I was able to get the amount of time I'll need to invest with them to set them up right. I'm not going to do the work for them. I'm going to give them the plans and what to Mm -hmm. do and really focus on selling the business. I think that there's a nugget there to have a few different brands at the same time operating under that umbrella. But um, there, there would be a balance in terms of timing, because like I said, I think setting someone up right and having them allocate the right resources and what to do is something that I would be able to do and not be so invested. Like today I'm, I'm in the weeds, I'm doing the work, I'm in it every day, as well as this other thing. I want to retract and kind of move backwards and use my knowledge that now I've realized is not super common out there. I mean, there's really big consultancies, but they'll charge you a lot of cash Whereas that, mm-hmm. at least I have a, a niche where I can provide that guidance and onsite to get a brand locked in and, you know, starting up um, and not bleed so much of my personal time, which is where I'm at today. Yeah, got it. So like yeah. you're saying, like, um, being able to step back into a more strategic role where yeah. you can, like, support that, that sort of uh, that framework and maybe like, yeah. execution plan, if you will. Um, so, exactly. so if I understand yes. correctly, that... Okay, awesome. And so that means that right now when you say you're like hands-on, um, does that mm-hmm. mean that you are actually like hiring the people you're like building out their marketing plans and like real estate and things like that? Is that what the hands-on part is? Yeah, like right now what's happening is, you know, our hiring plans are coming in 2024, early 2025. And I've been with this brand since last year. So the infrastructure that I've put in place I'm doing the physical work to fill that hole versus hiring a body to do it, Um, which Mm -hmm. is fine because that's just, that's what I knew I was getting into and it's completely fine. But now realizing that for the second time, I can see more benefit in me jumping on with the brand and letting them know what to do, how to do it, what Mm -hmm. capital investment that's going to be at the early stages, what financial burden that's going to mean, but it's going to pay off in the long run. 
there is Mm -hmm. um, opportunity there with that strategy that I know I can provide without having to do the physical work, which is really what's bleeding my time from doing anything else because I'm doing two jobs. I'm doing strategy and then doing all the work to get that strategy in play. It's a little bit hard at the beginning, but I mean, with this brand, they luckily, they have a very strong marketing background. So Mm -hmm. they actually take that and they built a phenomenal brand and they absolutely love it. And you can tell by what's already out there. Um, But on the other side of the business, especially with franchise law, it's a lot of work to really launch Mm -hmm. a franchise with all the legalities, you know, a franchise agreement. It's called a franchise disclosure document as a franchise agreement in it. It's 400 pages of lots of stuff that every franchise candidate will read line by line by line and ask every single question because it's a 10-year agreement. They're spending a lot of money the minute they sign that Mm -hmm. dotted line and they want to know what they're getting into. And 100%, we, I mean, I have integrity in anything I'm selling. I will make sure we have everything that we're giving you. But there's just a lot of nuances that you have to know, especially when you're dealing with 50 states. Um, And so, yeah. And yeah, so oh, sorry, it, go for it. yeah, no, I, uh, I'm wondering when you get involved in the process, are you also on the side of finding candidates that can take on the franchise or do you just only get introduced once that candidate is in the pipeline, they're qualified and then you're getting them onboarded? Like what, what yeah. scope of the process are you a part of? That's a great question. So with this brand, we've actually decided to partner with a franchise sales organization. And there's a lot out there. Mm. The one that we've partnered with is phenomenal. And so what we've tasked them to do is to do that. They do all of our candidate lead generation. They will Mm -hmm. go through a series of calls with those leads to make sure they're qualified, they're vetted, all Mm -hmm. of that. Then they come to myself and the owners here and we do validation calls. And then Mm -hmm. we invite them to our city for a a two-day event. It's called Discovery Day. And basically these Hmm. candidates will then go do their own discovery. They'll go to the studio or the boutique or whatever it is. They'll do services or whatever we're offering. We'll take them for dinner, learn who they are because culture fit is a big deal, know their intentions. And then we always, a day of presentations where we go really in depth into the business, have them ask any questions that they want. And then we make a mutual decision. Do we want them to move forward? Do we like them? And then we close it, which still is internal. So we won't do the initial lead gen, but we do all of the validation, the in-person mm. presentation, and basically the closing of the agreement. With this mm. new brand that I've joined, I'm actually going to do that for them. So what we've out, mm. but what we've outsourced, we'll actually do internal. It can get very expensive. So something to give you an op- uh, like a basis point. When you sell a franchise, typically there's a franchise fee. It's on average, it's right. sixty thousand dollars for one license. Right. If you use a third party. They'll take minimum 50% of that, but typically mm. 70% of that. Oh my gosh. So exactly. I'm sorry, the benefit, just, just real quick. Yeah. Th- that that yeah. is, um, that's the fee for, for f- like finding a franchisee. Is that correct? Basically the franchise fee is the franchisor will say you're paying a fee to now be in our system and reserve the right to develop a license under our brand. That's not the okay. all in costs. So then there's, mm-hmm. you know, your build out cost, real estate, that like that could be a million dollars, but there's mm-hmm. always a franchise fee. That's just to get into the system. And for us to say, we're going to provide you with all the tools, resources, SOP, basically you're paying us to give you all of those tools that we're promising you. 
but mm-hmm. not to build out your location. But that fee, not a lot of, th- think of $60,000 for one license. If you have an office of even six people, that's covering yeah. wages, platforms, tech, manpower, writing everything. It's not a lot of cash. No, it gets not. amortized over 10 years because one license is 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then if you use oh, third party service, right? So it's it's not, yeah. and then if you use third party, you basically take nothing because there's also money you're investing for these discovery days. You're paying for their flight, their hotel, their dinner, their presentation, right. you know? So mm-hmm. there's a benefit to going to these organizations because they have the right connections. They have huge broker networks out there that have cat franchise candidates waiting to buy. Kind of looks like real yeah. estate. You have like a real estate broker that knows all the right up and coming real estate. You can I work see, with yeah. a franchise broker who has a plethora of candidates ready to sign, but you pay for that. They take it all. So That's so much though. Yeah, I know. But if you consider if you're an owner of a company and you have no idea what you're doing to launch a franchise, these companies would be like, sure. I got you. I'll help you. Yeah. So that's where I, it was my first my first experience with that third party service was with the brand I'm sitting at right now. And again, I was like, there's a hole here because there's a way to do this without taking that much of a franchise fee and help Mm -hmm. a brand launch. And now I have enough knowledge to now remove that and say, we can Mm -hmm. do it in house. Let's do that. Right. Um, But it's interesting because they, they do exist. They're great. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting on the financial end because yeah, that, that franchise fee, you'll pay it out almost completely. Really. You, You won't really retain much. And not to get so in the weeds about this process, but I, I'm hearing you talk about um, that you're working with fitness brands and I, or in that general like vicinity where I do feel like the mm-hmm. brand component of the the franchise is so important, uh, like mm-hmm. the vibe and the feel. And so it feels like with these third-party brokers there would potentially be like a misfit. Like it feels like a very particular person has that style and vibe to run some of these, if I'm imagining correctly, like boutique-y kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know. I I, I don't really think I have a general question. It just feels like there's like a a disconnect that a brokerage would have with being able to provide potentially your area of – business Mm -hmm. with qualified candidates no you actually nailed that that's actually a good question or a good topic to talk about because you're right my my experience is in boutique style businesses it always has been it's been in fitness massage and now it's in recovery Mm. that feel it's all customer it's experience are the services are not unique fitness is not unique there's not one fitness concept out there that's unique. Mm -hmm. the experience and what you build in that box is when you're Mm -hmm. a franchise or of what i don't know let's say a dog washing business or mm-hmm. a painting business or any, any sort of trade you can, it's very cookie cutter. You don't need to build this like feeling of experience because it's a service that everyone knows and needs and they don't really mm-hmm. need to make rapport with a brand. But when you're in boutique, you really need to make sure that that franchisee understands your ethos, your culture, yeah. your philosophy and can sell it because they'll flop, especially with boutique. I mean, usually the service pricing is a lot higher. Mm-hmm. The footprint is small, but you have to be able to attract clients and keep them with you. And if you don't have that right 
mentality as an owner, the business will flop and then it hurts your brand. And so you're right, being picky, which is why basically we still at the end of the day take almost 50% of the sales process, even though we're not getting paid for it because we want to make sure that that fit is there and that their Mm -hmm. why makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. And sitting them in a room for two days, you definitely will. You'll get it. We've de- yeah. we've basically declined a lot of people. Actually, we've said no, it's not a fit, even though they've been willing to write us a check for a lot of money, because yeah. we know that it's not. You inherit a problem for ten years, and especially when you're launching a startup brand, when you're first to market in Arkansas or in Dallas, Texas, or in mm-hmm. Fort Lauderdale, you have to open so strong because if you flop. Every right. other business around there is going to be fighting to gain back you as a client for a second time to try us again to make sure you know what it is. Yeah. So there is a finesse to even choosing candidates. It's not about, you can sell a franchise. It's actually very easy to sell a franchise. It's not hard at all. Yeah. What's hard is picking the right person and the right operator who you're going to trust for 10 years. It's like a game of roulette sometimes. And not risk the yeah. brand too, exactly. you know, because right. it's... I. I uh, I know I'm monopolizing questioning, so I will back off after this one. But how do you? Because you get, you know, you go through this very uh, thoughtful process of getting someone, you know, on board. You guys have chosen to work with them. Mm-hmm. I, how, what is the ongoing process of working with them? Because I could imagine that sometimes franchi- franchisees might think, oh, well, I'm going to try something a little new mm-hmm. and it's off mm-hmm. brand and you have to rein them back in. Like, so what is that ongoing process after they've launched? How do you, what is your role in making sure that the brand is intact the way that the overall business has imagined it? Um yeah, I yeah. Think that's my question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and actually- that was actually going to be like one of my questions too. So I'll just tag mm-hmm. on. But like, especially because of what you said earlier about how you still need to like allow for that independence mm-hmm. for that franchisee to be able to like, I don't know, maybe be creative or run their own business. So like, definitely just plus one on that question. Yeah, actually, those are great questions. So really, a franchise system is only as strong as its brand consistency. Mm-hmm. And you only get brand consistency if your franchisees trust you and they trust the system. Mm. So what we do is, especially during a sales process, is you can, like I told you, it's not hard to sell a franchise. Right. And you can sell a dream. But the minute mm-hmm. a franchisee is in your system, they will 100% find any hole or any flaw to what you sold them like that you will lose trust instantly and then that is the hardest thing to gain back so first and foremost you need the right you basically need to prove your model in a true corporate location from start to finish have it all conceptualized in an actual document or platform or something so you can make sure you give the franchisee tools to succeed if they Mm -hmm. open and their opening process is seamless i mean Construction is construction. They're, they get yeah. it. If there's an unforeseen issue in permitting or a labor shortage, it is what it is. But mm-hmm. if you, what you told them that op- opening process was going to be and they open strong and they trust you, they're going to mm-hmm. want to continuously trust you with how to maintain the brand after. So once you're open and we as a franchisor have to be transparent and provide the utmost communication on any brand update, any innovation we want to make, because now we're one. It's not the franchisor mm-hmm. making decisions. It's pause, 
or it's it's the it's the business making the decision. Yeah. You have to do it together, which means it's transparency, it's communication, it's the right time frame and tools to get a studio to take what you're saying, to innovate the way you want to innovate and actually be able to execute it properly in their market with mm-hmm. you supporting them along the way. So the brands that make it the best are the ones that actually over-invest in the franchisor's infrastructure from a human resources standpoint. Mm-hmm. What happens is if you run too lean, you can't do what you just said. You can't support a franchise that's across the country right. in multiple states, multiple cities with only a few people being able to call you and say, hey, business owner, you need some help. How do we do this together? Let's you know, continue this, oh. this communication, this relationship. So there's a huge um, cadence of, of webinars and let's say like learning management platforms and training guides and SOPs and marketing and all of these support tools. You should see the toolbox that exists very robust, but yeah. basically you create libraries of resources. So client of franchises can plug and play what you're saying and help them along the way. And you give them that plan and they'll follow it and they'll follow it because they trusted you to open when you, when you give them a plan and they follow it and they open strong, there's no reason why they would not continue that. The ones that mm-hmm. deviate from your plans are usually because they don't trust you and then they deviate and they flop, which hurts the brand. And you want to avoid that. And it all, Mm. it starts at the beginning. Now there is a fine line to how much you want to give them because again, there's that independence. They're independently owned and operated. Of course, if they're going to write you a check for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and then invest lots of their own cash to open, they want to feel like they're an owner. And that's why, you know, from a brand standpoint, giving them brand guidelines, but having them take those brand guidelines and be able to do what they want to make that goal, mm-hmm. that's kind of that that balance, that yin and yang. There's always yeah. a guideline. There's always a brand standard. But to tell them, here's points 1 through 28 on how you need to do absolutely everything, that is probably overreaching. That's a little bit micromanagement. That's usually what a corporation mm-hmm. would do. You don't yeah. need to do it to that granularity unless they are asking for it. Then, of course, we can always give them the plan. But, you know, you, you work with them as it's a partnership. You give them the why behind what you're trying to get them to execute on. Again, they trust you and that yeah. trust shows in the performance so they're going to continue. And that's kind of how you continue that relationship moving forward. That makes so much sense. And and yeah. so like, it, it, especially because it's like a 10 year kind of agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I'm sure like, and you know, in a startup land, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And like, and, and startup land, like things change so quickly too. And yeah. so I'm curious, like, like how, how you maintain that balance, especially when there are a lot of like franchisees that you have to consider, like, let's say like the franchisor, yeah. like have, has some like new strategy or new idea for the brand or yeah. new direction or like reaction to something in the news or something like that, right? Like how yeah. how do you, um, I mean, obviously, like, like you said, like high levels of communication is very important, but like in terms of like big strategic sort of changes, does that happen often or are you more conservative about that because of the 10-year relationship? Yeah. Honestly, this is, I love this question because I had to make sure I'm politically correct. Maybe I don't have to be, but when you work Let for founder, rip, girl. <laughs> there's a, there's this common thread. When you work for a founder, their ideas machines and they, they're right. obviously brilliant because they create beautiful ideas, but they have no clue how things execute at mm-hmm. the ground level. Mm-hmm. And so 
every everyone's intentions are great and bless their heart because there's all these ideas and you could read a million articles in one day or listen to some podcast one day and be like we got to do this tomorrow exactly like, no we don't yeah exactly. this no, is like giving me a really yeah. visceral feeling you saying this <laughs> um, yeah so we've yeah. had our fair share of working with uh with uh hot um hot idea uh ceos i guess yeah yeah, yeah. And why, well, you know what, and to that point, what's odd is it's easier to rein in the ideas machines in a franchise system because you're dealing with owners versus mm-hmm. when you have uh-huh. ideas machines in a corporation, mm-hmm. you have employees sitting at your studios. What are they? They're not going to say no. They can't say no. They can't be like, exactly. I'm not rolling this I, out that tomorrow. That makes so much sense. A franchisee, the motto in franchising is you ask a franchisee to do something and you hope to God they'll do it, but yeah. you cannot physically force them to do it. You can go down a legal battle if they don't want to, but no one wins on that end and you want to avoid that at all costs. So luckily you act, the franchisees will end up being the people to say, yeah, I'll do yeah. this, but in 90 days from now, and this is mm-hmm. why. So luckily you can kind of rein in how that goes, yeah. but it it's all, to be honest with you, I've been in this for 10 years. It's still a battle to this day. And I don't think it'll ever yeah. go away. <laughs> I don't think it ever does. I think what you end up doing is less is more. You hear the idea, usually nine hundred of 10, it's kind of forgotten about sometimes until you like behind the scenes, know how to project manage things and work towards it. You're like, here's, here's the plan, but this timeline is in Q4 of this year, or it's in Q1 of next year. And this is why, mm-hmm. because we have 14 other things that we've been trying to get done before then. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know the secret sauce trick because it's, I feel like it's an inevitability, but in franchising, since that's the topic today, it's interesting because it's easier to stop the vomit of ideas sometimes because mm-hmm. you're not always iterating yeah yeah, yeah. It, I mean that that's kind of genius and gives me like a warm fuzzy feeling to think about that that <laughs> there is like this safety net of the franchisees being like all right yeah I mean we'll try or like we'll do it but in 30 like 90 days like that just seems so unheard of in the the way that you were describing it where when it's a corporation it's an employee is just you know waiting to take you know the next action um so i love that 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 seems like a really great structure yeah it's actually it's interesting because i mean i think i think that's sometimes why brands don't want to franchise they don't want to lose that level of control and they want yeah, to be able to push out whatever they want. I mean, there's pros right. and cons of both sides of the business. I mean, we could talk mm-hmm. all day about that. But, you know, one thing is, is that a fr- you're dealing with an owner now. You're not dealing with an employee. Yeah. So yeah. it's like the easy yeah. way to look at it. It's, a, it's an owner. So, yeah. Yeah. And I know that you said the the pros and cons, we can like list them all out and talk about <laughs> it for days. But, but like, like um, because we like don't have a ton of experience and you do I'm curious what yeah. are like the top of line like maybe like top three kind of pros and cons um yeah and this maybe going into a little bit more of like people who are considering like franchising yeah. like like what are the differences there yeah I would say I mean I'm tr- I don't know if I can t- top three of them but you know the benefit of franchising is market market churn development the only way if you have a good concept the only way to develop fast enough that when competition comes and it always does 
that you have too many locations open for any small independent chain to ever catch you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a real estate game where, especially in boutique, you need good real estate. If you don't act quick, your good real estate gets taken up by like-minded businesses and landlords mm-hmm. usually have non-competes, which means you can't even go into the complex you'd want to go into. And so there's a fine line of development and franchising is the only way to get your brand out there quickly so that competition can never reach your level. In a mm-hmm. corporation, it's the best way to maintain your brand strength and your your I would say your brand message. I mean, when you're a corporation, you have so much more control. And so mm-hmm. you don't have to innovate as quickly or change things because a franchisee is wanting it. When you're in franchising, you end up needing, it's almost like a union. A f- franchisees are their own body. You end up creating a franchise um, advisory committee because at some point they have a voice and that voice needs to be Mm -hmm. managed, but they actually have a lot of say. And so you end up building this franchise committee that actually has its own agreement. It's almost like a mini business. And -hmm. there's like rules and bylaws and things that the franchisor and franchise committee work on to like make sure the franchisee's voices are heard. It's it's almost like a union. It's basically the same thing. Um, and so that's that's the downfall of their franchise is that the franchises have a voice and they can force you to pivot your brand in a way that you might not want to as an owner. But at the end of the day, you're franchising. You are, you're going into multiple different markets at the same time. You're not slowly developing one business in maybe a confined area. So you don't have that much control and you can't. Um, but I mean, franchising also is very lucrative. You don't have corporations as you make no money you're investing all your money and opening up all these businesses it takes a lot Mm -hmm. of time to recoup those capital expenditures whereas on a franchise you don't spend a single penny on any of these locations they're writing you a check right yes Mm -hmm. you end up losing money depending on if you're using these third-party services or as you grow your franchisor's office you usually aren't making a lot of money at the beginning because you're investing on the hr side of things but you'll turn a profit way quicker because every franchise that opens, you get a royalty off of their mm-hmm. top line sales. It doesn't matter what is going on in that studio, whatever they transact, you get that royalty fee. It could be 6%, it could be 8%. And mm-hmm. so you start to get that times that by a hundred studios, you're making a mm-hmm. lot of money quickly and you didn't spend much money on opening those. So mm-hmm. I would say that would be the biggest opportunity there versus on corporate it's just slower development but you have more say more control and you were saying that it's a kind of a small world to be on the franchisor side like to work in that network (laughs) so how it how would you if someone's hearing this and they're like this sounds so exciting to get to have all these relationships with different business owners to expand a business what would be your recommendation to someone that wants to break into something that's a maybe a little niche and uh, it's sounding like a little tight knit too, since everyone knows each other? Sorry, is there a question on how to like get a career in franchising? If someone wanted to uh, kind of do what you're doing, so not necessarily be a franchisee, oh, gotcha. but how to like break into the franchisor side of it if you're not the yeah. the brand founder. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? Luckily, there's a lot of great franchise brands out there that are growing exponentially. I mean, I can name a few at the top of my head, but um, 
when you look at a boutique, I would say boutique style businesses that are growing their franchise, they will always have to overinvest on their franchise or side. Like we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. their smaller franchise models that are easier to like a painting company, a trade company, whatever. Their franchise or office is probably never going to grow past a handful of people. Mm-hmm. But when you get these boutique style businesses, like a lot of facial companies out there that are franchising their business, a lot of fitness, a lot of everything, mm-hmm. they're always hiring. And when they're hiring, it's very unlikely that they're looking for franchising experience, depend, like marketing. Mm. You don't need franchising experience. You don't need franchise experience in operations when they've grown. What they want to mm. do is get someone with a really cool applicable knowledge set, could be from school, could be from a different industry. It doesn't have to be a franchise. You're gonna, you can get in there and apply your knowledge to that system. It's very applicable because yeah. franchising, you can learn that. It's hard to learn. I can't teach you how to be a marketing specialist. You need to acquire that through experience. Mm -hmm. But to layer in franchise, let's say law or franchise standards or franchise use, you can train that. Because like I was saying, it's the same. Running a franchise business, knowing the laws, the legalities, what you can and cannot do, it's trainable. So I would encourage anyone if they're looking to learn more about the franchise side of the business, which is very cool because man, you'll put your arms into a lot of things. Like I was saying, even if you're yeah. in marketing or if you're in even accounting, you'll end mm-hmm, up learning mm-hmm. so many other areas of the business because you have to, you, you are end yeah. up getting involved in it. You can apply with your skill set, and that company is not going to look at you and say, you have zero franchise experience. I can't hire you. They're never going to find anyone. They would never be able to hire it. Like I told yeah. you, franchise experience is very limited. I would say on the development side, it's a different story. It's very hard. Sure. You kind of have to know franchising to get in and develop a franchise. But yeah. once someone's franchised, to get in on marketing, operations, training, training, yeah. we would want education background. You don't yeah. need to be a franchisee or like we would want an you know, education background, someone who understands how people learn information and, you know, obtain information mm-hmm. and keep that information. You want it, You want a learning background. You want a teaching background, education. You don't need a franchising background for that. So I would say that if you probably Google top franchise brands out there, you'd be shocked to know some brands that actually are a franchise because that was like me. I didn't yeah. know. And then I got in with one. Yeah. So I would so go cool. that way. Oh my God. Um, Jen, should we move to lightning round? Yes. And I have so many lightning round questions. You want to start? Know, I'm just going to write them yeah. down. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, just quick lightning round session, um, is okay. just quick, uh, yeah, quick questions, quick answers. Um, so okay. what happens? My first question is what happens after the 10 years are up? They can choose to renew or we end the agreement and we can buy back the business or sell it for them. Mm. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. Um, And then Jen. Yeah. So in your day-to-day, what are things that you do that gives you energy? But then what are also things about your day that is like are the most draining aspects? Things that give me energy are talking to franchise owners and because they're so excited. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, their first business. And when you're helping them yeah. open a business and you see – like almost tears in their eyes Mm. that to me like is the most it could turn a bad day around on the most draining side like I was saying earlier your your head can go into so many different topics like real estate law operations training marketing HR in one Mm -hmm. day back-to-back meetings and you have to move Mm -hmm. your train of thought into all of these areas and sometimes it's hard to focus and really digest what you're trying to do to be strategic and forward but you know, at the end of the day, it all works. Awesome. 
Okay. My question is around, um, Mm -hmm. you talked about like building brand um, and how important is it for the franchisor to have like a really established, like built out brand before engaging with franchisees and, and leaning on them to kind of continue that brand building? Maybe that's not a quick question, but (laughs) I'll try to make it, you know what, the rule of thumb is you have to have a proven concept in order for any franchise to work. And I would almost argue, even if you want to grow your own business corporately, you have to prove the model one time. If you expand too quickly and you think you know what you're doing and you become a volume based business, it's going to flop because you will not be Mm. able to scale your business. So being strategic in how you grow, take time for just location one. After that, you don't have to take time. You could you could sell quick and open quick or do what you want. But if you have not proven that model and you do not understand the four walls and how to operate that business, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. Got it. So yeah. just hearing you talk about all of this, I, I can just tell how much, you know, e- even the stuff that gives you energy, it just seems like a lot that you're putting into the job. So my question is, how do you unwind and take time for yourself so there's like any balance? And I know you said you haven't taken a vacation in six years, so but I mean like, oh but like, how do you do it on a daily basis or do you like, oh my just, God. what are your thoughts? I feel like I'm going to sound so boring, but do you know, literally, do you want to know what actually lets me at peace, like shut my brain Absolutely. Off? Yes, please. Running. Running nice is all I do, and I probably look crazy because I will run like a mad woman, but it is the only time <laughs> my brain shuts off. Runner's uh-huh. high is a real thing. I was gonna I ask. will feel euphoric. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And I sort I sort by this day. Music is my life, so playing something with high beats per minute and literally running straight with nope. I don't even track my distance anymore. I don't care. I will run for like at least an hour and I just zone out. And I don't even do it for I don't do it for a workout. I do not care. It's mm-hmm. not about the workout, but it's the only thing that works for me and I absolutely love the feeling after. Oh my gosh. I probably should take a vacation too. <laughs> no, that is I mean, I was just I was just watching a TV show the other day and the main character like had a really like stressful moment and they got their stuff and went on a run and they were just sprinting. And I was just like, that's the most unrelatable thing that I like I can't imagine it running. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, but at the same time, it's so enviable because it looks I I, I think I would like to like ambitiously I uh I I want to be you uh is what I'm saying uh but um <laughs> Listen, it's not for everyone <laughs> don't worry I like I relate to it I like totally get it I feel like that like yeah. sports to me is my like mm-hmm. way of meditating so like that 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 like okay, runner's great. high is such a real thing to absolutely <laughs> joy I have one more Joyce I don't know if you have any more you go first. I have one more. Okay. So as you were talking, it made me wonder, who do you view as the customer? Is it the franchise owner or is it the customers of the brand? I love that question. It is the franchisee. So you, you know how companies mm-hmm. have like mission, vision, values. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. sit in a franchise or a seat, there's always at least a mission to empower and provide everything to our customer, which is the franchise owner. And when you do that, they will indirectly always pass it on to the customers coming in. But they're the ones that trust Mm -hmm. you are writing a very large check and sometimes Mm -hmm. investing 
their entire life, their life yeah. savings into this business. And so they are 100% our customer. Yeah. Ooh. Joyce? Okay. Yeah. Um, my question is, um, let's say franchising wasn't a thing. We're in an alternate yeah. re- uh, reality. Um, <laughs> if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing instead? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. I hate that question, Joyce. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my whole life has been fra- – what do I – I have no excitement. I know. I feel like you, you would invent franchising. Could <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? That'd no, not that one. <laughs> you know, I will tell you that because I – from the minute I could understand what business meant – you know, and I was probably a, a young, young teenager. And because I've always wanted to open up my own business and mm-hmm. um, fitness has always been my hobby. Mental health, oddly enough, has mm. always been something before I knew the term, but it was always right. something I achieved to have because my life was absolute chaos, probably still has been. Mm-hmm. But I wanted a serene environment and I wanted to create a serene environment for everyone that I knew. And I've always wanted to be a certified yoga instructor and I've always wanted to do mm. inversions and I've always wanted to be this yogi master. So I would probably say I would want to have my own yoga studio and be wow. an owner operator and be an instructor and create a serene environment for myself and my guests. So I'm going to go that route. (laughs) That's incredible. That makes so much sense. Because I can't do anything that a yoga instructor can do to this day, but I still, I would love to. to. (laughs) Will that be your vacation is getting yoga certified? Yeah. Or yoga retreat. I should. Yoga retreat. Go to Costa Rica. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That would be be incredible. Yeah. Okay, so um, we wrapped our um, our uh, lightning round, um, but I yeah. want to segue to um, a new segment that we want to try, which is um, all of us kind of go around and share a top of mind career advice that maybe you were told a long time ago, um, have always kind of rever- like resorted to as like a North Star, or maybe something that is just like, I don't know, came up recently and uh, is something that is on our minds. So uh, this is a new segment um, called Career Advice. And uh, maybe, Jen, you can kick us off. Yeah, I do have one. So advice I've always given, especially in the interview process, is to always be so authentically yourself and not try to not try to be who they want you to be because it's only mm-hmm. going to hit you on the other side because then you're going to be in that job and they're going to think that you're someone <laughs> that you're not and then you're going to feel stressed. So, I mean, I, I'm very uh, opinionated and I'm <laughs> and I'm very opinionated in the interview process too. So I never feel bad about it once I'm in the job because I'm like, they know what they got. I was this way in the interview process. So that's <laughs> that's what I would say is just like be so authentically yourself in the interview process. Like you will find a good fit that wants you for who you are. I love that. That's so great. I love that one. Um, Alicia, do you want to go next? Yes. I would say, you know, my motto is Wabi Sabi. I think people live in the imperfection. And now being around just people, I thought knew everything. You know, I, I was a nobody. And, you know, you're always around these high individuals that are, you know, C-suite mm-hmm. executives. 
no one knows everything. No one. Doesn't matter what title they have. And if you wear imperfection all the time, thinking that you don't know everything and that things could be better, you'll drive yourself crazy and you'll lose so much momentum. So I think you mm -hmm. live in the imperfection. You realize you don't have to know everything. And there's the world is your oyster with what you can provide. Um, and I just think that that's what I would do. Did you say wabi-sabi? Wabi-sabi. Have you ever heard that? No. no. It's, what is uh, that? Look, it's literally, it's a saying. It's been around for ages, but it, it basically, I mean, I guarantee you've seen artwork with at least sure. a quote about wabi-sabi, but it's, it's basically finding the beauty in imperfection. And I, a lot of that. the business leaders that I had around me always told me wabi-sabi. And that was like the best advice I was given because I was, I feel like all of us, especially females, but we're really bad at being perfectionists. And I think that we oh, yeah. bring us down way harder than we should, but realizing how many times I thought I needed to know so much more. And then the people yeah. that actually had years of experience on me had no clue either. And yeah, that's a yeah. lot of the general times. I wish I didn't. And I've just embodied this lately. And I feel like that's what's making me be more confident and excel. And I would love to pass that on to anyone, especially someone younger You'll yeah. never know everything and guarantee they'll always have something on the table that someone above them doesn't know. And, yeah. Love that. Yeah. Wabi Sabi. That's so good. <laughs> Wabi Sabi. And that's Wabi -sabi. a new one. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Just Google it. I'm definitely it. taking that one. That's a good one. I'm going to be going around saying it everywhere. And also like aesthetically, um, all the images that come up when you Google that yeah. is also very like, I feel like calmer looking at them. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. And it's catchy saying. I feel like I never forget it. So Yeah. Wabi Sabi. <laughs> okay. So mine um mine's one that uh I got recently. Um someone gave me some career advice about um like do the mental exercise of like would you be okay not being paid for this for like a mm. month? Right. Like, mm -hmm. would you still like get something out of it um, and like enjoy the day to day um, that so much so that like it's it's not just the money. It's like something that is worth it to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that that was really great advice. And um, yeah, it, it's like great that. advice and also like kind of uh, jarring advice because it, it's probably a, mm -hmm. a cold dose of truth to really think yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, and also like it's it's different from like the advice of follow your passion, mm -hmm. right? Like I think that that one's that one's like although I, I like passionately I passionately love money. So it's like <laughs> I I love that part of my job. And it's and it's it's like vague enough that like it feels mm -hmm like unstructured a little bit. Um, but I think like just doing that, that like just test that like quick test of like, if I weren't getting paid for this for like a month's worth of work, like, would I still be happy? Would I still yeah. choose to do this? Um, so yeah, ask yourselves that listeners. Right now. Uh, <laughs> or at, at, your, at your convenience whenever. Yeah, we just want to say, Alicia, thank you so much for your time and all the knowledge that you just dropped and teaching us about franchising and everything in that world. Um, we can probably keep going because I have I know. a million more questions and this is so fascinating, <laughs> just like learning a new space. But um, in the interest of time and being respectful of your time, 
Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. I mean, my first podcast, I was very excited. So I appreciate the invite. It's a big deal. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, You crushed it. And after hearing you talk, it's like, oh my God, you were able to fit us in your schedule. <laughs> like, you I know, right? So <laughs> take a vacation. No, I was so excited with this. Really, you know, bucket list items. One of them was be on a podcast. Had oh to take gosh. it. Oh my gosh. We seized the you day. Manifested <laughs> you manifested yes. it. Manifested Wabi it. Yes. You manifested it. Wabi baby. Wabi sabi. Let's go. Let's yeah, go. I think I used that right, <laughs> but it's just fun to say. I know. Yes. All right. Well, thank you again, Alicia. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Um, And Joyce and I will be right back. We're back, baby, from our interview with Alicia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thoughts, highlights. Yeah, so impressive. She's Mm -hmm. so impressive. Like, it was captivating to talk to. And also it was really tickling a part of my brain that seemed – I was loving this idea of you can get into being part of the franchisor side of the business with potentially not a ton of experience with franchising, but with maybe something applicable to that process. But then you build out and you learn more things and you – you know, if you're an educator, you can come in knowing that, but then maybe mm-hmm. you'll learn the marketing and you start adapting with the uh, with the law side of it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just sounded so fascinating. And I love this idea of, you know, you have to get buy-in from your franchisees. So <laughs> I knew, you get, I knew we were going to highlight that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When she said it was like a union, I, I it clicked to me why I think I liked it so much because there is yeah. this uh, – it's this community aspect of running a brand, even though it's like right. not really. But mm-hmm. I, I just, I loved, I loved it. I loved hearing her talk about it. I loved her story. And it, honestly, this is like something that does it does sound really exciting. Yeah. So it it sounds like this is something that you would be interested in. I, I would say of all of the guests that we've had on, this was the one where I. I had like no question in my mind that I would want to do it because it's it really hits that part of being a founder and a CEO, but also creates the community aspect of it. But there's also this building trust and relationship with your franchisees mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I love because you could just hear when she was talking like you can't just tell a franchisee what to do and how to do it. You have to earn their trust mm-hmm. and that's through having – um, having a strong organizational uh, strategy and just general strategy uh, to be able to help them and help them succeed. So, I mean, just everything just sounded so cool about this. So, so like the part that that kind of piqued your interest was being on the franchisor side, not being like a yes. franchisee. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Interesting. Yeah. So for me, like, yeah, like this, like, like I totally feel like we could have talked for another hour at least because there was so much yeah and and like like um we're not I, I don't know about you maybe because you you mentioned that your your husband has some experience here but like franchising for me is like completely like I don't know like I don't know I like I know maybe McDonald's 
<laughs> does, does this, but like the, the behind the scenes, I have no idea. So like when we started to get into it, I was like, oh my gosh, here come all the questions. Like I had like yeah. a backlog of like all these different questions, not just about like what her job is like, but also what is it even? Um, right. It, but it was so incredibly fascinating. Oh, wait, you, you seem to, you wanted to respond to something? No, no. I mean, it. I, I do. I have a pretty decent sense from the franchisee perspective because, yeah, my husband, I've seen him on calls, like all the franchisees would be on call with the main office. And then, you know, sometimes the main office would say, hey, we're doing this update. Um, the website is going to have X, Y, Z or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So it was interesting to see it from the franchisee side. Mm. But um the way that she was talking about it, it, it it definitely seemed, I think the aspect of it being a strong brand, which these boutique fitness and like, like the boutique wellness kind of uh, area, it's it just, there's a lot of branding. And so I could tell that there's, there's a little bit more to what she's doing than what maybe I had seen from the other side. If that right. From sense. the franchisee side. Yeah. 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 But um, no, and you know, this has just come up recently because a friend of mine, he he loves Hawaii, but there are no Chipotles in Hawaii. And he even Mm -hmm. looked up to see if you could franchise Chipotles because he wanted to maybe get a Chipotle in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And Chipotle just like will not do franchising. So like each business is – it's different, different in terms of how they look at franchising, but I do think it's a really fascinating model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it, and uh, this wabi sabi. I, I got I got a Google tab all opened up and ready to deep dive into that. Yeah, that was a great one. I like this new segment. I like. I, I do. Yeah, exactly. And it was Joyce's idea, so. <laughs> We're starting. It, we're starting it off. We'll see how long it lasts. But I, I think no, it's I love so it. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, my bad. <laughs> what was that? I was knocking a little pen on my table, and that I didn't think it would like pick a, up. That was it a heavy so sounding loud. pen. Wait, can I, I see know. the pen? I love pens. This one. Oh, it's a highlighter. Yeah. Oh my god! It had it had some weight to it. Yeah, I I was just tapping it, but it got really loud. But um, but anyways, great episode. I think it's super fascinating. Oh, like okay, so I didn't say whether I would want to do this. So I I think like the the part that like really piqued my interest was the business side, like Mm -hmm. the like business owner kind of strategy side. I think that's super interesting. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I saw you lighting up a ton during this conversation. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like we're tapping into something. Um, so, like, I think it's really awesome. I don't think I had the same level of, like, oh, my gosh, as you did. But I think, like, it was fascinating. And I, like, I would love to learn more about it. Yeah, I think the only thing that ever – gets me gives me pause with any of these is I'm just from working in startups for so long I'm just so tired <laughs> and and this just seems like a lot of work <laughs> so that's the only yep. thing that it, you you have to give a lot of yourself to it I mean homegirl hasn't taken a vacation in six years uh hopefully she does uh mm-hmm. soon 
Uh, also, I feel like if she made if she created like a a yoga brand, she, I I like I would love to see what she would do with it. Just with all of her knowledge with franchising and in the space that she's in. But yeah, uh, that's my only thing that gives me pause though is um, it's a lot of work, but so is everything. So yep, yep. Exactly. The thing I need to recognize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But all right, another great episode. Um, and uh, the books. Yeah. Shall we wrap? I think we should wrap. Okay. Right. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been another episode of So What Do You Do? Join us next time. Bye.